Good morning. It is false spring here in Indiana. Um, we always get one of those. I always remind folks, yep, yep, yep. Uh, if you're a Hoosier, then you know that you always get another snow sometime during basketball sectionals or basketball regionals, and those are getting ready to take place here, and so I was getting ready to bundle up and get ready for it. It's going to be coming, so... Uh, it has been a lovely day and a lovely weekend, and we hope that you did get some time out to enjoy it. We are going to be in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, chapter seven. I don't want to jump back and have to go back a book; that would be incorrect. We're in Second Corinthians, chapter seven. We're going to look at all sixteen verses today. So, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. I'm going to keep saying that wrong. I did it once, and it's going to keep happening now. Second uh, Corinthians, chapter seven. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. The Scripture is up on the screen for you. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you. For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within but God. Who comforts the downcast comforted us by, by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I had made you, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit had been refreshed by all of you. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus had proved true. And his affliction, or I'm sorry, and his affection for you is even greater 
as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for godly grief that produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. We thank you that as, as Paul has, has written this letter to, to turn the hearts of the church at Corinth, that, that this letter also will turn the hearts of believers here, now. Father, I pray that as we, we go into this time of worship through hearing and responding to your word, that you would just speak to our hearts, you would, you would um, get our attention, show us the importance of having a, a grief in us that, leads to, that produces repentance, that leads to salvation. Father, speak to our hearts, put me aside, let your glory shine through today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So chapter 6 and chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians are really closely connected. Um, together they kind of show Paul's sincerity, his authenticity as an apostle and as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's really showing that this is what he's been called to do, that this is, you are the Gentile people here in Corinth. You are some of the folks that God wants me to bring this message of salvation to. And in the first half of chapter 6, we see God's power through all of Paul's weaknesses. And Chris preached on that last week. That, and, and we see in the second half of chapter 6 is this, this exhortation to the true believers in Corinth to not be joined with those who reject the ministry of the apostles, who reject the ministry of the gospel, who, who reject God, but to move forward, right? And, and Paul wants the Corinthian believers here in chapter 7 to know the grief that he caused them in his letters was for their own good. Right? That grief brought them to true repentance, which is always for their own good, for their own eternal good, right? Uh, we, we talked in small group this morning about Paul writes these letters kind of like a, like a dad sitting down and having that long, hard conversation with his kids, right? I, I remember a few of those, either at the edge of the bed or sitting on a, on a truck bed or in a tailgate somewhere, and dad just having me out, right? And having that hard talk with me. And Paul's doing that. It's almost one of those, it hurts me more than you kind of moments, right? That, that, that Paul's having with the Corinthian church as he's writing these letters. Here in verse 1 of chapter 7, we see this bridge between the two chapters. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness and completion in the fear of God. Now, now, what promises is Paul referring to? Well, he's talking about the promises back in, in chapter 6, verses 16 and 18, right? That, that God is, has made for himself a people. Those who are true followers of Jesus Christ have been made by God a living temple for him to dwell. Because of that, those promises... We should repent and cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God, right? A reminder that God desires our holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. That's a command that comes up over and over again. And holiness involves purifying all aspects of our lives, including how we treat and use our physical bodies as, as we're seeking purity 
of our minds and our spirits. We, we seek purity in our, in our lives for the glory of God, right? And when we do that, it will affect our inward thoughts. It will affect our inward desires. And it will be reflected in our daily actions. And we do all of this in the fear of God, meaning that we have this, this reverent obedience of God and a reverent obedience to His Word. This is the only path to wisdom for the believer is God gives fatherly discipline, right, to us. He gives this fatherly discipline to us in this life, knowing that there is judgment coming for the next. And, and that's what Paul's talking about here in, in just verse 1 of chapter 7. And then he goes into this idea of joy, right? The rest of chapter 7 is about Paul's joy over the repentant Corinthian church. Remember, when we read 1 Corinthians, these folks were, were a mess, right? They, 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 weren't, they were just a mess, all sorts of things happening. But here, Paul is showing repentance over, or, or showing joy over their repentance and how they have come back to the faith. He says, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. And I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to love together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. Now, if we go back a chapter... When we look at chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, he says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. See, Paul's repeating that language of, of opening their hearts as he pleads with the Corinthians to accept the true gospel that has been given to them. Right? That one gospel, that true gospel that they heard in the beginning. And he's, and he's pleading with them to reject and separate themselves out from false teachers, to not be party to that, to, to get out of it. Over and over and over again, throughout the New Testament letters, we see this common thread that, is, that, that a positive, favorable response to the gospel is, is not just a one-and-done situation. It's, it's not a matter of, I got saved, I repented once, and now I'm done. That it is a lifestyle of repentance continually. And that's what Paul's trying to show the Corinthian church here, that, that it's not just a, a one-and-done situation. That followers of Christ need pastors to preach the gospel to them regularly. When we read the letters of the Apostle Paul, it's amazing how many times in a letter to the church... He presents a gospel message because pastors need to preach the gospel to church members regularly and church members need to hear it regularly. Followers of Jesus Christ need to preach the gospel to themselves regularly. We need to remind ourselves of what God has done in our lives and how he has saved us and how he has moved us from not a part of his flock but to being an adopted child. And it, we need to remind ourselves of the work of Jesus Christ that made that possible. 
Followers of, of Jesus Christ need to preach the gospel to other believers regularly. We need to spend time with fellow believers in Christ having gospel conversations. And followers of Jesus Christ need to preach the gospel to non-believers regularly. You see, this, this gospel-centered mindset, this gospel-centered life that Paul's calling us to here and, and Scripture's calling us to is important because when we flee from false teaching, when we flee from false teachers, we can't just run away in any random direction. If we run away in just any random direction, we're going to run into more false teaching. We're going to run into more false teachers. When we flee from false teaching and we flee from false teachers, we must run to the truth. And the way we do that is to saturate ourselves in the truth by seeing, by reading, by hearing, and by proclaiming the truth of the gospel message regularly. For the believer in Christ, that may mean spending more time in the actual word and maybe less time in devotional books. I'm not opposed to devotional books and devotional literature, but sometimes they don't always have the word for you. Or they have a chunk of the word, and it may not even be within context. Right? For a follower of Christ, it may be spent, mean spending time having gospel-centered conversations with your believing friends, making time to do just that. For a believer in Christ to, to really be able to run to the truth, it means looking and praying for opportunities to make the conversations with our unbelieving friends gospel conversations. Looking for those doors to open up, praying that God gives us an opportunity. I'm going to tell you this, church, and you need to listen. I have never experienced a time in my life, and I don't know very many other people in ministry who ever had where someone came up to them and said i want you to tell me about jesus christ what's it mean to be saved without me initiating the conversation i've had people say i want to know more about this because you've shared this with me but i've never seen a random stranger just walk up to me and say tell me about jesus i'm not saying that god can't do those kinds of miracles but in, in 20 years or so of, of ministry experience and working with the churches and, and doing this sort of thing, I've never encountered it. I would say it's not normative. We need to turn those conversations to gospel conversations. And the beautiful thing is, is it's really a simple message. The gospel is a simple, I, I, I've heard some friends describe it this way, the gospel is a simple message delivered by simpletons to simple people. You just say, I know from the Bible, I was born corrupted by sin. Because of my sinful corruption, I am separated from God in this life and into eternity. I deserve death because of my sin. But God loves me and loves his creation so much, he does not desire to see us separated from him. And because of that, he sent Jesus, God in human flesh, to reconcile us to him. Jesus lived a sinless life, fulfilling all of God's laws, 
even though he was tempted in every manner that you and I have ever been tempted. Jesus willingly sacrificed himself to take the punishment you and I deserve. He died on the cross to pay that price. And he rose from the grave to prove his power over death. Those who ask for forgiveness from God and turn from their sin and turn toward Christ are reconciled to God through Jesus and no longer have separation between themselves and God. It's the gospel message in a nutshell. Ten lines on a sheet of notebook paper. That's it. That simple of a message that you can take and care. And it's this message, this message about, about your own sin toward God, this message about God wanting to reconcile himself to you through Jesus Christ, this message, it is this message the Corinthian church first heard when they came to Christ. This is the message that Paul had been repeatedly telling the Corinthian church. This is the message that leads the Corinthian church to repent. And when Titus comes to Paul and tells him of their repentance, Paul is comforted because of their response to the gospel. Now understand this. The gospel of Jesus Christ can cause people grief and heartache. Right? No one wants to or likes to be made aware of their own sin. That, that's not a, a comfortable conversation to have. That's not a comfortable realization to come to. Right? No one wants or likes to face their sinful state before a holy God. I think that's even worse than recognizing you have sin in your life. But grief caused by the gospel is worth it. And understand that, that when we think about this, Paul has written about grief caused by the gospel in his own life. Not just the fact that he was grieved of what he had done against God when he had the gospel presented to him in his vision with Jesus, right? but the fact that he carried the gospel out the way he did caused him other grief as well. It's going to come with it, but it is a godly good grief. Grief caused by the gospel that leads to repentance isn't just good, it's worth celebrating. And in verse 10, Paul speaks here of godly grief and worldly grief. I love this, this definition that I found in some study notes, that, that godly grief is remorse for knowing you are out of God's favor and have lost his approval. This grief creates inside of you a resolve to reverse your conduct and to turn to God. This grief brings about true repentance. That is godly grief. Worldly grief is remorse about losing the world's approval. This grief creates in you a resolve to seek out and to regain the world's approval. This grief brings about death. This grief brings about divine judgment from a holy and just God of all the universe. Godly grief is a good thing. It brings people to repentance and it brings them to God. Godly grief shows the believer cleared 
of their wrongs. They are exonerated because of godly grief. And it proves that because of the work of Christ, we are made innocent. Not of anything we have done, but everything that Christ has done. And the beautiful thing is, is the Corinthian response here to the grief they received from Paul's letter shows that they truly belonged to God. And, and that's important for us to understand that, that the way you and I respond to the grief caused by the gospel in our lives shows whether we belong to God or we do not belong to God. When we repent and turn to God and seek a renewed relationship with fellow believers, a renewed relationship with Him, we show and prove that we really are God's and we belong to Him. Verse 13, therefore we were comforted. This is, this is something that could get missed if we're not careful, right? He says, therefore we were comforted. He's, he begins it that way. See, there's, there's comfort in godly grief. That's a weird thing to think, thing to think about, right? That, that chapter 6 and 7, Paul's talking a lot about sorrow and grief, in these two chapters, but he's also talking about joy and comfort at the same time. See, there is comfort in godly grief because when we grieve for someone as we await their response to the gospel, God is able to comfort us. And we should be grieving for people as we await their response to the gospel because they're dead in Christ. They don't have anything. They're dead in their sins. They don't have life in Christ. We should be grieving for them. When we, when we see or when we hear that they have responded to the gospel by repenting and turning to God, there's, there's, there's where we get some comfort. But not just comfort. That's where we have joy. And it's a great joy. We also need to see this, that, that, like I said, we should grieve for those who have not yet responded to the gospel. They are separated from God here, and they are separated from God into eternity. They are dead and need to be made alive in Christ. And we need to bring some grief to them, the way that Paul brought grief to the Corinthians. Now, this doesn't mean just picking on them. This doesn't mean harassing them and, and haranguing them. This, this means to do what Paul did by telling them the truth in love about their need for Christ. We need to bring them godly grief by proclaiming the gospel to them. And not just me and Chris. All of us. If you are a follower of Christ, this is your call to bring a godly grief through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those you love by telling them the truth of their need for Jesus. See, when we get news about those whom we have shared the gospel repenting, it'll be a neat thing to be able to talk about. We'll be able to boast like Paul did to Titus. See? woo I told you. God was doing something, right? They're his. They're his. And they showed it. By showing their obedience, by being obedient to him, they're his. 
There's an excitement in that. There's a joy in that. And that's important for us to see, important for us to take away. Paul kind of ends this section, right? He says, as we look at just 13 through, therefore we were comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus was proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all. How you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. See, he he ends this section of the letter here with this confidence that the Corinthians are truly believers. They They have given evidence, not just to Paul, not just to Titus, but they have given evidence to the unbelieving world of their belief in Jesus Christ by their repentance. And not just by their repentance, but by their obedience to the Word of God. And it is good to be reminded that they are repentant and obedient because of what God has done for them. They're not being obedient and repentant to try to seek and earn favor for God. Now, I know that that's that's like our natural mode to think that, that obedience, our being obedient to God secures God's favor for us. That's not how it works. The gospel is actually the opposite of that. The gospel tells us that God's favor is already won for us by the work of Christ. And the work of Christ in our lives drives us then to this heartfelt, earnest, zealous, sincere obedience to the word of God. And and we see this, this moment here, right? When we, when we read 1 Corinthians, Paul was worked up. He was a mad, angry papa. But here in, in 2 Corinthians 7, we, we see this moment where, where the Corinthians and Paul are reconciling, and they're becoming friends once again. We, we see that, that, that this, is, this good, godly grief, this grief in their lives is, is where these tough conversations have to be had to have real relationships, real gospel-centered relationships. We, we see that when, when both parties put aside their own preferences and desire to seek the truth of the gospel, now notice that, they both sides put away their own preferences for the sake of the truth of the gospel, that God restores those relationships even if it's through grief and hardship. And it's important for us to remember that that grief and suffering do not go away when you surrender your life to Christ. Giving your life over to Jesus does not mean that grief and suffering just ups and flies away. We are not exempt from life's troubles. We were looking through the things that that Paul has been through because of his sake for the gospel that we just mentioned in in chapter 6. He says, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleepless nights, labors, hunger, and the list goes on. Paul wasn't excused from grief. 
because he was an apostle of Jesus Christ? If anything, Paul was handed more because of his work for Jesus Christ. There is no get-out-of-tough-times card with Jesus. But there are some amazing realities that do come with our relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing that, that when you have had this godly grief that brings you to sal- repentance, that leads you to salvation, that you are then adopted into God's family. And not just adopted like you're a cousin. You are a child of God's at that moment. And a joint heir with Jesus Christ and all the blessings that God has. We are, we are then indwelt by the Holy Spirit to give us the power that we do not have within ourselves to live out an obedient life to the God who has saved us and adopted us into his family. We have this beautiful, gracious gift of salvation. And we have this this promise of eternal life with God. The the troubles and the grief that, that, that we experience here on earth bring us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. That's why... When we read this section, we read this part of the letter that that Paul is speaking about grief and he's speaking about joy and he's speaking about comfort all simultaneously because of what Christ has done for us. So what does this mean for us? Where does this take us? What, What do we do now? Well, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ or if you have questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, I I want to encourage you first to just Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If you have questions about that, I want to talk to you. If you're listening to us online, you're watching us on Facebook, I I want you to reach out to us here at Calvary Heights so we can talk to you about Jesus. However you choose to do that. If you're already a follower of Christ, you need to be grieved by your need And you need to be grieved by others' need for the gospel. You need to be grieved by the gospel and you need to respond with repentance. Because true response to the gospel is not a one and done situation. It is ongoing. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to give some godly grief by having those gospel conversations with those who need to hear them. To believers who need to hear them and to unbelievers also. Proclaim the word. Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for this time we've had. We thank you for this this opportunity to, to think about godly grief. That that produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Father, continue to remind us of this, to bring this to us, to to have us grieve those around us for the gospel's sake and to be grieved by the gospel and respond appropriately by that. Draw us close to you through your word, through this godly grief and the gospel that, that brings us closer to you. 
Bring about a, a, an obedience that comes only from what Christ has already done in our lives.